Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in the last part of the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And the section I'm going to preach from this morning is printed in your bulletin for you to follow along. Before we start, I want to remind you that, that Jesus has just preached, taught in one of the synagogues. And as he was teaching in the synagogue, he was teaching as no one ever had. So those present, as they heard the word, were astonished at what he was saying because he taught as one who had authority. Others who had taught in the past were quoting other authorities, but not this man. This man spoke, and when he spoke, they knew there was something different. Not only in what he said, but how he said it. And then there was a disruption. A disruption that you would have noted, that you would have talked about, that you might have even been frightened by. And it was a man who was possessed by a demon. And that demon began to speak because he recognized who Jesus was. And Jesus, with his authority, cast that demon out of that man. It was astonishing. It was, that's not a disruption. That's beautiful. It was astonishing to the people. Now we're going to continue in this 24-hour period of the life of Christ, which then extends a little beyond that. And as I do read and preach from this text, I want you to be listening for the hands of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, and the words of Jesus. Here comes the word of the Lord. Verse 29, chapter 1. And immediately he, that's Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I want you to do your best to imagine this scene and this day or so in the life of Christ because it's really a remarkable picture. Jesus has been present in a synagogue. He preached with authority. All present were astonished. A demon was cast out, and now that service has come to an end. I also want you to remember 
that as the story is being told at the pen of Mark, this gospel called Mark, it's really Peter's story. Peter is recounting what his experience was. So imagine Peter and Mark together as the Holy Spirit's carrying them along. And he's reminding Mark and teaching Mark, this is what happened. And he's talking about this one specific day that bleeds into another day about the life of Christ. So after the synagogue services ended, Jesus and the other four enter into the house of Simon Peter. It's Simon, it's Andrew, his brother, and it's James and John. That's all we know of at this point. And we know there's a woman present. It's not Peter's wife. We don't hear anything about her, but we know he was married because it's Peter's mother-in-law. And she's sick. Now, every time a miracle happens in Scripture, it's very important to pay attention to the details that surround the miracle because they're teaching us something as well. You're going to see a miracle that takes place right here with Peter's mother-in-law. Near the end of the sermon, you're going to hear the story of the miracle of the leper being cleansed. It's easy to think about the miracle with Peter's mother-in-law to not be that significant. I would imagine in many studies on miracles, this one's kind of skipped over. But friends, that's not helpful because there's so much here that's being taught even in this miracle. Let's see what it is. First, Jesus enters the house. It would have been customary for them to expect a good meal, a time to continue in fellowship on the Sabbath. But as they get there, Jesus is told, which is significant, they come, not his mother-in-law herself, but they come on behalf of her to speak of her ailment to Jesus. So Jesus is told that she has a fever. Verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately, again, one of Mark's favorite words means straight away, immediately they told him about her. Now the word for fever here means fire. We have no idea what the other details were related to her fever, but we know she's sick and she's so sick that she's in bed because ordinarily she would be full of delight to serve and care for her family, but she can't. So Jesus comes to her, verse 31. He came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. Now I want you to picture the hand of Jesus. When Jesus enters the room where she's laying down, he reaches his hand towards her. The very hand of the living God is reaching towards this woman who has a fever. She is going to be touched by God, not just metaphorically, but physically. And as he touches her and grabs hold of her, he lifts her up. And what does Mark's gospel tell us? What does Mark hearing Peter say who was there present when this took place? It says, he came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up, and the fever left her. There's no record that he spoke against the fever. There's no record that any words came out of his mouth rebuking the fever. The power simply went from his hand to this woman, and she was healed. Now, it's easy to think of this miracle compared to others as not that big a deal, but it's a big deal. Here's why. In this moment, when she is paralyzed by this illness, when she's unable to get out of bed, she is unable to be the person that God has made her to be. She's unable to do the things that God has made her to do. 
in this momentary reality of her life, this illness has plagued her in such a way that she cannot function the way God has designed her to function. And Jesus, with compassion, touches her. And when he lifts her up with his very own hand, the very hand of God, she's restored. She doesn't simply sit up in bed and say, I'm beginning to feel better. Please bring me some fluids so I can remain hydrated. She is immediately healed. And immediately she moves forward in serving, doing the very things that God created for her to do. Can you see the scene? God's power is moving from her, him. It's moving from him into her. And immediately she's able to do what she was not able to do before. God has that kind of power. And he has that kind of compassion. Sometimes we're tempted to think that our illness, whether it's physical or emotional or relational or spiritual, is not really that big of a deal. God's miraculous work in our life of rescuing us isn't that big a deal compared to someone else's story that seems so grand and full of depravity. Friends, only God can save and only God can heal. And in this moment, this story of Peter's mother-in-law should not be lost on us. In an instant, Jesus takes his hand and he touches the woman, Peter's mother-in-law, and he lifts her and she's healed. That's what he does for us. When God, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, touches us, and we say, I believe that you are the, the one illuminating the way, the truth, and the life who is Jesus, he's lifted us up. Our eyes aren't fixed on ourselves; They're lifted up. We're not stuck any longer because his powerful hand is at work to lift us up. And that's what hap happens here. So many things can paralyze us. So many things can plague us. Cry out to God. Today, whatever it might be that is in your life that's kind of leaving you flat, ask God to rescue you. He does. He touches her. She's healed. She serves. Picture the scene. It's in a home. It's in Capernaum. We know the home. It's Peter's and Andrew's. So Jesus has a meal with these friends. At some point, the sun begins to go down. And this is really significant. Because as the sun is going down, there are crowds of people who are waiting. The news of what happened in that synagogue, those astonished people, has begun to travel through the city of Capernaum. And it's not a small place. As the news begins to travel, those who are sick, who are diseased, who are demon-possessed, are beginning to hear the news of what took place. And what they hear is astonishing to them as well. But they're waiting. They're waiting for the sun to go down. And they'll know when the sun goes down and three stars appear that the Sabbath is over. And when those three stars appear, off they go. And those who are diseased and demon-possessed are heading towards Peter's house. Picture the scene. Jesus, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James and John, his mother-in-law, in their home. Suddenly they hear the noise as the sun goes down. The crowds are gathering. 
And the crowds are not made up of people who just want to see this miraculous man. They want to be touched because they're sick. So it's very sick people, along with demon-possessed people, who are surrounding Peter's house. And Jesus, fully man and fully God, has to be experiencing the exhaustion in his humanity of a long day. Already he has been in a synagogue teaching. Already he's encountered a man with a demon. Already he has touched a woman and lifted her and healed her. He's had a great fellowship afternoon with his friends. And now he hears the noise of the picture of the scene. The word of God tells us, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The demons know who he is. Just knowing who he is is not enough. Remember that. And so at some point, that night ended. Those who were healed left. Those who have been delivered left. And those men and the mother-in-law retreated into the home. And there they went to sleep. It was dark. Now Mark says, next verse. In verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. I love this. So as the sun goes down, the crowds press in on Jesus. They were there for a while, and now before the sun comes up, Jesus himself is departing. It says that he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Here you see the heart of Jesus. In the moment when the ministry is beginning, and people are astonished, and the crowds who really want nothing more except to be healed and delivered are pressing in. He knows that it's going to be absolutely critical that he spends time in intimate communion alone with the Father. And so before anyone else rises, all those who witnessed what took place when the sun went down, before any of them rise and before the sun rises, he leaves. And he goes to a desolate place, which means wilderness. And it doesn't necessarily mean a physical wilderness. It might just be a picture of where Jesus had to go often in order to be reminded of who he was and the mission of the Father. Jesus goes to a desolate place, and there he prays. And that's really important. In that desolate place, Jesus is in communion with the Father just like he was in the wilderness when he was tempted, just like he will be in the wilderness called Gethsemane just before he dies. Jesus is with his father. Eventually the sun comes up and so rises Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And they begin to look for Jesus. As they look for Jesus, I wonder what that sounded like. I wonder what was beginning to happen again outside the door of Peter's house. We're not told. We're only told that they were looking for him. Were they shouting his name? I don't know. Were they crying out, Jesus? I don't know. But they couldn't find him until they did. 
And when they did, in the Greek, it's not missed. This is a subtle rebuke of Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. What Jesus is about to show Peter and Andrew and James and John is that, friends, you really don't get who I am and you really don't get my kingdom because they know what just happened and they know what it's gonna be like to see crowds of people pressing on on this Messiah, this king that has finally come, who's gonna usher in a kingdom. But what they don't realize is this king is radically different than they expected and his kingdom is radically different than they expected or probably wanted. And so Jesus will hear them say, essentially, where are you? Why did you leave? Everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus will say, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. This is really important. Jesus did not come out to heal every man and woman and child of sickness. He didn't design to do that in Capernaum. He wouldn't do that anywhere he went. He could have. He could have healed every human being from every physical illness. He could have cast out demons from every person that was demon-possessed or oppressed. But he didn't. That wasn't his mission. His mission was to bring the good news of the kingdom, that there was a new king, and this king was the divine rescuer. And in order to live forever in a place apart from all disease, apart from all demons, he would have to usher in a kingdom that was radically different. And he would have to be a king unlike what they expected. And so Jesus, because of his communion with the Father, knows that even though the crowds are going to gather again in Capernaum, this day he's not to meet them, but he's to leave. And he says to the disciples, let us go. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The disciples didn't understand that, but they submitted and they followed. Jesus didn't come to be a rock star. He didn't come to just gather crowds. He gathered crowds and healed people that they could see his authority and power, but all for the purpose of proclaiming repentance and belief in him. You see, many of the crowds didn't care about that. Many in the crowd just wanted to be touched by Jesus, just wanted to be healed. That wasn't the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was for his message of salvation to be proclaimed and for people to believe. So they left. They followed Jesus. They went into many other places and they would over the next three years. They would return to Capernaum. In fact, in chapter two, next week, we'll be back at Peter's house. But until then, they went to many different places. And Jesus preached in their synagogues and he cast out demons. But Mark ends chapter one with the story of another healing. And this healing has to do with a leper. Look with me at verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. 
Now, children, I want you to understand something about leprosy. In Leviticus 13 and 14, there are a lot of really nasty skin rashes described. And in this time period, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, it was about as awful a diagnosis as you could get. Because what it meant is that you were not just going to experience extreme physical pain, but you were also going to experience extreme social and relational pain. Because if you had a white spot that showed up on your skin and you went to the priest and the priest determined over a number of tests that you actually have leprosy, you were considered unclean. And that meant you had to move outside the walls of the city. And if you were to ever come into contact with someone else who didn't have leprosy, when you saw them coming, you would have to shout out, unclean, unclean. You couldn't be close to anyone. The disease was physically very painful. What was happening is your nerves wouldn't feel things. And so you could have your hand actually burning in a fire and not even know. You could stub your toe and it could get infected badly and you wouldn't know unless you saw it. Limbs would begin to deteriorate, ears, noses, etc., etc., And the, the figure would be really awful to see and very, very painful, but it wasn't just physical. You couldn't be touched by your loved ones. You really couldn't see your loved ones. This leper had heard the good news about Jesus. He knew something was astonishing people. And he knew enough to know that this man may have the power to heal me. And so he goes towards Jesus, which was against the law. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now listen for the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. Verse 41, moved with pity, Jesus Christ moved with the heart of God, God's heart, a heart of pity and compassion for people. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, the very hand that lifted Peter's mother-in-law, the very hand of God touched the untouchable. It was illegal for Jesus to do this. It was against ceremonial law. But Jesus' law of love trumps the ceremonial law. And there he touches the man. And he says, I will be clean. His words. Mark's favorite word, immediately. Verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The hand of God lifted up the mother-in-law with the fever. The same hand of God touched the leper and made him clean as he spoke. What was happening was astonishing. The word was beginning to spread. Jesus knew as the word spread, the crowds would go, grow. And he was very systematic in his thinking about what needed to happen when in terms of his kingdom expanding. And so he sternly tells the man not to speak of this. Verse 43, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourselves to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But 
Mark says is Peter's telling him that's not what the man did. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. I don't think we actually make much of that. I think we just think, you know what? He was healed of leprosy. How could he not talk about it? That's understandable. But it also misses a really important point. He disobeyed Jesus. Many people wanted to be touched by Christ, but they didn't really want to submit to him. They really didn't want to follow his words. They didn't really want to repent and believe in him alone for salvation. And I don't think this should be lost on us. Jesus sternly warned the man. And what the man did, and it's understandable from a human perspective, isn't it? Is he said, because he knew, that man that healed me told me not to speak about this. But I know better than him. He said not to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. That means I know better than him. I'm going to talk about this the way I want to talk about this. And he no longer submitted to the authoritative word of the man and the only man who could heal him. I do the same thing. And so do you. There are times when we know exactly what the Lord has said. And sometimes out of even zeal for the kingdom, and I believe that's what this man had at some level, we disobey God. We don't wait on God. We don't move at the speed of God. And we do whatever we want. That was costly to Jesus. Mark says so. He could no longer enter towns, but had to minister in desolate places. He was God. His mission would, should, would still be accomplished but I don't, don't think we should miss Mark's point, which is God's point. Submit to all of Christ. Don't just seek to receive the benefit of his blessing. Discipleship is following a person, Jesus, which begins with submission and surrender. The man should have as one healed by Christ, obeyed everything that Christ said. Jesus Christ, because of what was happening, began to see people coming to him, as Mark says on the very last verse of chapter one, from every quarter. And you're going to see as we move through the gospel that the people who wanted to be healed were pressing in on Jesus. Jesus is going to heal some of them, but he's not going to heal all of them. He healed this one leper, but he never went to a leper colony and healed all the lepers. Jesus' mission wasn't to heal this world of all who are sick and diseased. His mission was to save his people by living the life that his people could never live and dying the death that his people, all of us, deserve to die. And the crowds that are pressing in on him years later 
there will be other crowds. And these crowds are pressing in on him too. But instead of coming to be healed, they're shouting these words, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And the ones leading that charge are the most religious of all. And what's going to happen that in order to save his people, the very hand that touched the mother-in-law and the very hand that touched that leper is going to be nailed to the cross. And the very heart that we're told by Mark had compassion and pity on the leper is now going to burst on the cross. The hands and the heart of God on full display. And he will speak these words just before his heart burst. It is finished. The reason he came wasn't to heal all the diseases. He could have. He still could. But his mission was to save and rescue his people, not from leprosy, not from a fever that affected some, but from a disease that affects all, a disease called sin, sin in which we all are born, sin in which we all commit, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christ came to destroy that. And he preached to destroy that. And he lived a perfect life to destroy that and died the perfect death to destroy that. His hands and his heart and his words on full display so that his people those who trust in him can live forever. Some of you today watching, worshiping online or here have never surrendered to Christ. Like the demons, you know who he is. And like many in the crowds, you've seen things he's done or heard of things he's done, but you've never ultimately surrendered your life to Christ. It's very possible today that he has you present online or in here to hear the same message of his life as the way, the truth, and the life as he was preaching back then. The way of salvation is in no other person but Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Today may be the day where you recognize your need for Jesus and you cry out to him, heal me, touch me. What's keeping you in bed, so to speak? What's causing you to feel unclean? What's causing you deep isolation? Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to him. He's the only one who can heal your greatest need. And I believe if you cry out to him in repentance and belief, you will hear his words through his word. 
I will be clean. It is finished. If today you know you're already in Christ, then ask him to continue to make us astonished by his grace that he was willing and that he did it and that he went all the way to the place where his hands were pierced and his heart was pierced, but it had already burst. Father in heaven, for just a few minutes, we have had the chance to look at a story that took place on this earth, which Peter witnessed firsthand and then told to Mark. And Mark wrote it, this first gospel. And 2,000 plus years later, we're still hearing about you and your saving power. Lord, I pray boldly that you would save people right now. And I pray for those who know that you're calling them, that they would surrender, giving their life to you right now, repentance and belief. Cry out to him. Lord, for those who already know you, because of another time in their life, you offered the call that's irresistible. Would you astonish us today and tomorrow and every day until you return by the good news of this grace given to us in Christ, your hands, your heart, your word. And Jesus, as we sing this closing anthem, which speaks of your death on the cross, we're asking you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to feel and minds to think deeply about the astonishing news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.